Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer, and this is episode 150. Update. I'm pretty good. I had a fairly easy week, like no reason to have a meltdown or another crisis of confidence. It was pretty uneventful. I did take a little time on November 2nd to celebrate Dia de los Muertos, like I talked about in my last episode. I hope you were able to do something like that, you know, even if you don't celebrate the holiday itself. I hope you were able to take some time out and remember a loved one who has passed and, you know, took the opportunity to sort of tell funny stories or jokes or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you do to keep them close. I spent the day, you know, just sort of thinking about my dad, of course, and um, my grandpa, because I talked about him in the last episode also. And um, actually, grandpa died when I was really young. So I actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about him. But when I do, it's always good memories. You know, like I, I'm really, really lucky to to have that. And, you know, of course, I thought about my Aunt Jean and I thought about my Aunt Linda and the time that I got to spend with them. And again, just really lucky. I mean, especially the way things are today. It's not like it used to be. You know, families used to be geographically, you know, closer. So I think I kind of took for granted the the time that I had with family when I was a kid. And then you grow up and you, you know, move away or whatever. And, and then you realize, like, there aren't a lot of people that still live near family. You know, like, I'm lucky I have a little bit of family down here. You know, they're not around the corner, but they're close enough for me to visit, you know, several times a year. And, and I and I do. But, you know, that's not the case for everybody. The world's big. <laughs> you know, you might be lucky enough to still have your family all in the United States, but maybe not. Maybe they're kind of spread across the globe. So it you know, I kind of spent a lot of time this past week just thinking about that and and uh, <clears throat> feeling really fortunate for the time that I have. And, you know, when I when I do go back home, even if it's only for a few days, you know, it's kind of like jam packed with people that I want to see. And that just makes me feel really blessed and lucky <laughs> Not only that I have so many people I want to see, but that they want to see me too. So, so I, you know, that was kind of my way of celebrating the Day of the Dead was just taking time to sort of think of all of my people that I've loved, people not only related to me and even those who weren't related to me, who are no longer here, but as long as I'm thinking about them, they're never far. TV podcast recommendations. No new podcasts this week. Um, I did start listening to a new one, but it was, uh, I don't know why I do this. I tend to not like the scripted podcasts. You know what I mean? Where it's kind of like, 
it's kind of like old timey radio shows, you know, I don't know what it is about. I have a hard time following it. Like if it's several people talking, I sort of lose track of, you know, the characters. Like I, I, I don't know. So I started one, but I, I didn't get past the first episode because it was another one of those scripted podcasts, but it had gotten such good reviews. I figured, well, let me just try it. Ugh. I, I couldn't do it, but I, I'm, I'm going to keep, you know, looking for new ones. So I'll let you know if I come across anything good for TV. I told you last much how much I last week, how much I hate Halloween. But that doesn't mean that I don't love a good ghost show. And I mean, I, I've talked before in past episodes about how much I love the Ghost Brothers and pretty much any show they do. Uh, when I say ghost shows, I don't mean ghost adventures. I hate that show. I hate everybody on that show. I hate any version of that show. Years ago, I'm talking, you know, 12, 15 years ago, I used to watch uh, Ghost Hunters, but I don't really even watch that anymore. And I think, I think for like several years, it was off the air. I could be wrong about that. Anyway, recently, I found a show on Max. I think it normally is on the Travel Channel. It's called Kindred Spirits. Um, I started watching it because the two hosts, Amy and Adam, I recognize them from Ghost Hunters. And all eight seasons are out right now on Max. And so I've just been kind of making my way through the seasons. I like it. It's good. It's, for me, I can't do anything that's too scary because I'm a big scaredy cat. But also I live alone. So I can't do anything that's too scary. So if it's like got just kind of like that right level of creepiness or if there's like, you know, kindred spirit sort of takes, borrows a lot from what they learned from ghost hunters. So, you know, they're not ridiculous like Zack from Ghost Adventures and they're not over the top and they don't like take things to sort of bend them to their narrative. They they do take a more scientific approach, which I appreciate, right? I mean, sometimes they go places and it's just like, yeah, we didn't find anything. Just like, you know, Ghost Hunters, which may make for a boring episode, but also feels like more authentic because you know, if it happens every single time, then I find myself like not quite believing it. Right. Anyway, I also so I'm making my, my way through Kindred Spirit. I do like it. And then I saw that Jack Osborne also has a new show on the Travel Channel called Night of Terror. And it's either on the Travel Channel or on Discovery. I'm not sure because, again, I'm watching it on Max. I really like Jack Osborne. I, I have liked him since the MTV show, which I had to look up to see. That show was on, that show debuted on MTV 21 years ago. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I knew it had been a while, but I did not think it had been 21 years. But because I like him and because I've seen him on other shows with the Ghost Brothers, I figured this would be good too. And it is. It's a little bit scarier than Kindred Spirits, but he has 
I don't want to say he's sweet, but he it's almost like sweet. He has an engaging personality. So even during the scary stuff, it's he makes it somehow less scary. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. Um, so I, and, you know, I've watched some of his other ghost shows, I you know, um, some of them I don't like as much, but this one I do like, and uh, it's good. It, I, you know, the, the newest one feels a little bit different than his other ones, maybe a little bit more grown up, less, you know, like <sighs> sensationalized, but, you know, again, it's not over the top. It's not ridiculous, but it is still good. And then, you know, every once in a while, you get to see the rest of his family, too. Uh, some of the episodes, it's been him and his sister, Kelly. One was uh, Jack and his mom. And that was an interesting one. Something really weird happened with his mom. But I'm just, you know, as much as I hate Halloween, I'm still taking advantage of spooky season. So, but it's coming to an end, which means it will soon be bad Christmas movie Hallmark season, which I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> all right, guys, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So let's talk about the shit show that is The Golden Bachelor. Last week, on the advice of sister number three, <laughs> I watched five episodes of The Golden Bachelor and I I have thoughts. Now, first, I have to say, I don't really watch this show. I mean, I did watch, I think it was the very first season of The Bachelorette with, what's her name? Is it like Trisha or Trista or something? And Ryan? I think she was like the, I think she was the first Bachelorette. I did watch that season. And that's it. I have never seen the regular Bachelor or any other season of The Bachelorette because I hate these shows. I I get like severe secondhand embarrassment for the contestants. I, it, oh, it's just, it's very hard to watch. It is beyond cringy. It's almost like, oh, I can't even say it because it, as some of you have sensory <laughs> issues. I won't say it. But it's bad. I it, it's it's hard to stomach. And this, you know, like, I really was not looking forward to watching it. But after sister number three told me that she thought I should watch it because she thought it would make a good podcast episode, I figured, okay, I'll make the sacrifice because I love you. So if I watch it, then you don't have to. I I will endure the pain for you. So this may be sexist, but I expect better behavior from women. And it makes me really angry to see these women on The Bachelor just tripping over themselves and other contestants for a chance to, what, date? Maybe marry some guy they literally just met. Oh, in case you don't watch The Golden Bachelor, let me catch you up. So the whole idea is a first for The Bachelor franchise. 
The first time, for the first time in the show's history, The Bachelor and the contestants are all over the age of 60. Gary is the golden bachelor. And this really threw me off because I'm old, so I watch everything with closed captions on. It's spelled G-E-R-R-Y, which in my mind is Jerry, but they all pronounce it Gary. So we'll go with it. We'll just say Gary. Anyway, he is 72 years old. He was married for a long time, but his wife died six years ago. Gary seems like a nice guy. I mean, even six years after his wife's death, he still can't talk about it without crying because Gary is a crier. He is also tall, good looking, seems to be in pretty good shape. And like I said, seems like just a kind of nice, decent man. The women. Here's a rundown of the women. It starts out with 22 women competing for a chance to date or possibly marry Gary. But some of them are like so inconsequential. I didn't even remember they were on the show until I Googled the contestants. So I'll just skip past all of those. All of the women are at least 60 and they come from various backgrounds. Some of them are from big cities, some from small towns. Some have had busy careers as business owners, financial advisors, and education. One is a fitness instructor. There's another one. I don't know which did in her previous career, but she's currently a pickleball instructor. So the immediate standouts are April, 65, therapist. Let me just say. The fact that this woman is a therapist terrifies me. I mean, of course, they never really say what kind of therapist. I mean, at one point they do show her sort of saging the place. So I'm assumed that she's not like Esther Perel level therapist. So that's April. And you have Ellen. She's 71. She was the, she is the pickleball coach. Oh, yes. She is also a retired teacher. Faith is 60. She's a high school teacher. Joan is 60. She's a private school administrator. Kathy, 70. Retired educational consultant. I don't even know what that is. Leslie, 64, is a fitness instructor. Susan, age 66, is currently working as a wedding officiant, but she also had a long career as a hairstylist. And finally, Teresa, 69. She worked in, quote unquote, financial services. I don't know what that is either, but I, something tells me it's bank teller. As I said, I watched five episodes. I took notes. I took seven pages of notes. I won't go through all of them, but here are just some of the highlights. First of all, Gary, please stop crying and dancing. No one needs to see either of those anymore. And... The makeout scenes made me very uncomfortable, but not as uncomfortable as Gary's dancing. The behavior of most of the women is proof that getting older does not mean you've gotten more mature. Uh, to be fair, I know that the producers probably told them to you know, act a certain way or say you know something specific, but I I don't want to hear any. Anyone at any age 
telling some man they just met that they're very comfortable with six inches. Ugh. Well, let's talk about the rose ceremony. The rose ceremony is dehumanizing. It, this is not a 4-H ribbon ceremony. I hate everything about this. The House of Women are, they're staying, I don't know, I, I don't know if like it's the same house that they always use for the Bachelor contestants. I, like I said, I don't watch the show, so I have no idea. I was a little surprised to see bunk beds, though. I mean, these women are all at least 60, some much older, some have artificial knees and hips. Uh, you know, I think this probably could have been a little better thought out. By episode three, the women are starting to turn on each other. They start getting jealous, <clears throat> excuse me, of the amount of time someone is spending with Gary and the connection that might be made because of it, especially Kathy. Kathy doesn't want to hear about anyone else's feelings or connections or whatever when it comes to Gary because it makes her feel bad. I'm sorry, Kathy, but your insecurities are no one else's responsibility. My favorite contestant, of course, she left early due to a family emergency. And there's just this overall ridiculous behavior all over a man they don't even know. They're competing against one another for a chance to date or God forbid, marry a stranger. They all talk about like finding their forever love. And even if that's the goal, there's no guarantee that'll be the case. I mean, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, but as far as I know, I think the only successful relationship in the Bachelor fr franchise is Trista and Ryan. There may be one or two others, but you have to remember this show's been on I think 20 years. So that's not a great track record. By episode five, all of the remaining women are professing their love for him. It is so gross. I mean, like, I was literally like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Come on, have some self-respect. I think the most shopping, shocking part for me is that when I was Googling and researching for this, I found out that the filming of the show takes place over three or four weeks. That's it. One month at the most. Even one-on-one, -on -one, a month is not long enough to get to know someone, much less decide that this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. This, How do you know in a month, one-on-one, -on -one, that this is your quote-unquote forever love? At the end of episode five, there are three women left. Leslie, Faith, and somehow Teresa. In the next episode, Gary gets to meet their families. I won't be watching. I couldn't care less who Gary chooses. If I had to guess, I would say he will choose Faith and Leslie will be the first Golden Bachelorette. In fact, the only question I have after watching five episodes is what brand of strapless bra are these women wearing? 
I mean, most of the time they're wearing strapless dresses or spaghetti strap tops, but the boobs are high and tight. I need to know what strapless bra they're wearing. Now, as I told you, I don't watch this show. So I went into the whole experience expecting to not like it. And I was right. I didn't. I hated it. It was very hard to watch. I thought it was just from watching how ridiculous the show is, and that definitely had something to do with it. But there was something else going on, too. What I wasn't expecting was how bad it made me feel about myself. The contestant that I said was my favorite that left early, Joan, she is stunning, a gorgeous, absolutely beautiful at any age. She's 60 but could easily pass for being in her 40s. She is smart. She's funny. She's in great shape. She seems really down to earth. In her exit interview, she seems sad to be leaving. She said she had hoped things would work out for her on the show because it's too hard to date on your own because as you age, you get more and more invisible. Do you guys remember way back to episode 10 of this podcast when I talked about exactly this? But if beautiful, smart, in-shape Joan feels invisible, what hope do I have? I told you guys I recently decided to get back on the dating app and I am taking things slow, which is why you haven't heard me talk about it. There just really isn't anything to talk about. I thought what was bothering me was that, in my opinion, the women on the show are not an accurate representation of women over 60. Now, that is also the case for the regular Bachelor. You know, the, the women that are on there are not your average girl, right? They all look like pinup girls or Playboy models or Victoria's Secret models. You know, that that's not reality. And when I look at people, I know who are near my age, you know, or over the age of 60, they're all still attractive. They're all still active. 60 today is not the 60 of our mothers and grandmothers. There's a meme going around that has like the cast of friends and it says like the cast of friends is now older than the cast of the Golden Girls when it premiered. Now, before you, you know, clutch your pearls, it's not true. I mean, it's mostly false. That's the internet for you, right? This is why you should always fact check the internet. Rue McClanahan, when it premiered, Rue McClanahan was the youngest. She was 51. Betty White and B. Arthur were both 63 and Estelle Getty was 62. Uh, so currently the cast of Friends is, yes, they are older than Rue McClanahan was when Golden Girls premiered. I mean, so am I, but they're also younger than Betty White, B. Arthur, and Estelle Getty. So after watching five episodes, I was done. I, I won't be watching the hometown visits or the final rose ceremony. And I thought it was because the whole thing was just like too orchestrated, you know, as, as all reality TV is. But again, the more I thought about it, the more I realized there was more to it than just that. Watching these beautiful older women competing for a man was 
a little too real for me and my current situation. I think the whole concept was meant to give older women hope, but it had the opposite effect on me. If I have to be like these women in order to land myself a man, I'm tapping out. I find the whole concept of competing for a man to not only be demeaning, but also, and I think this is maybe what bothers me the most, the more it's more realistic than I care to admit. Because statistics don't lie. Of singles over the age of 50, there are 57 men for every 100 women. But that statistic gets much more grim on the dating apps. Of the singles over the age of 50 on the dating apps, there is eight women for every one man. Those are not good odds, at least not for someone like me who is unwilling to do whatever it takes to be in a relationship. I'm not going to compete with seven other women. I'm just not. I'm not going to fake an injury for attention. I'm not going to profess my love for a man I've only known for a couple of weeks. I know that there's a lot of this, you know, it's just for the show. The producers are behind the scenes pulling all the strings, but there is a little bit of reality here too. I mean, if you were the average man on the dating app who had eight women to choose from as one of those women, you have to do something to stand out, or at least it feels that way. So in case you're wondering how things are going for me on the app, they're not. It it always starts out strong. I think because, you know, when you first pay for your membership, because of that, I think the algorithm will kind of move you up sort of like to the head of the class. So anybody on will maybe see you first, right? It increases your odds of getting likes. But then over the course of, you know, two, three weeks, it dwindles. You start conversations with anyone you may have matched with. And this really is supposed to be like your time to differentiate yourself, right? To make yourself appear more appealing than the other women. At this point, anyone I matched with in week one, I'm not even talking to anymore. Like one by one, the conversations just came to an end or we unmatched. I went from getting several notifications a day to nothing at all for days. Sometimes it was them unmatching from me. Sometimes it was me unmatching from them just because lots of reasons. There's a brief time in the beginning where you feel a little bit like Goldilocks, you know, this guy's too old, this guy's too dirty, this guy's too boring, this guy's too needy. But I can't get to the part where it's, and this one is just right. And then there are ones who within minutes of matching on the app, and I mean within minutes of matching on the app, they will send you a message and say something to the effect of, I don't really check this app a lot. Can we exchange phone numbers and text instead? Now, according to that dating advice um, 
account that I was following on Insta that I am following on Instagram. This, I've been told, is a red flag. The advice is to not just, you know, you don't just exchange mes- messages on the dating app forever. You know, once you feel comfortable, you make arrangements to meet in person, but you don't exchange personal information until that point. So once you make, you know, your arrangements to meet in person, then you give them your phone number, you know, just in case they need to reach you last minute, right? And the reason for that, of course, is safety, because a person can get a lot of your information just from Googling your phone number. I mean, I know I've done it. And I've had a few of the men do this with me. Like we match with sometimes, sometimes it's within minutes. Sometimes it's within a day. They'll send me a message asking to move off the app and following the advice of the Instagram account, I say, I'd feel more comfortable talking on the app until we know each other a little better. And almost every single time, they unmatch me. Now, I know this isn't a bad thing. You know, if they're not willing to respect my boundary to protect my safety, then they're not somebody I want to date anyway. But... There is another part of me that wonders if men on the app aren't getting the opposite advice. Because many of the men that I have spoken to say that there's a lot of fake accounts on the dating apps, meaning there are a lot of women on there who aren't real. And usually those fake accounts don't want to take it off the dating app. Or if they do, they want to take it to like another sort of anonymous app like WhatsApp, you know, where their identity is still protected. So if that's the case, maybe when I say I don't want to move off the app, they see that as a red flag. I mean, I can see both sides of it. I mean, if it's true that every guy in the app is also talking to seven other women Maybe the reason why these conversations are dwindling out is because, like, I'm not doing enough to keep them interested, you know? But I really can't see how I could do anything different because I need to be me, right? The kind of person I am in real life from the very beginning because otherwise what's the point like if i if i want to be in a relationship with someone long term i had to be me from the beginning you know i don't i don't want to do an old bait and switch because that's not fair to either of us right so watching the golden bachelor was discouraging i mean all of these beautiful older women tripping over themselves for a man, a nice man, but still. And there was one other thing that just kind of kept needling me. You know, it may be nothing. Maybe it's just kind of, hmm, that's interesting. Mm. Gary's wife the one he was with for 42 years, the one he still can't talk about without crying, the one who passed away six years ago, was just an average woman. 
From the pictures they showed of her, she aged in a normal way. They had kids, so her body changed. She started wearing glasses because her eyes aged. And, you know, it seems that through it all, Gary was still very much in love with her. And I couldn't help but compare Gary's wife to these 22 attractive, in-shape, Botoxed, lip injections, fillered, hair dyed, 22 contestants vying for his last rose. With each contestant, hair, makeup, always perfect. They dress in skimpy tops or gowns and stilettos. They're all in great shape. And there's constantly tons of cleavage. I mean, there are boobs everywhere. Again, I need to know what bra they're wearing. None of them, not a single one, aged in the normal way that Gary's wife did. I think my biggest gripe with this show is that I had hoped when they decided to feature an older group of people that it would be maybe a little bit more realistic And that's been the really disappointing part. Because if you're like me, just the average aging woman, you'd never make it on this show. I don't fault Gary. He didn't choose the contestants. But it's clear that even though he seemed a little shocked at first by the set of seemingly ageless contestants, he quickly adjusted to it. I think the Golden Bachelor really missed an opportunity here. Instead of featuring the real process of aging, they decided to take the same formula they use for their usual contestants and just apply it to women over 60. And to me, that's just wrong. They could have said, hey, you've lived a lot lot of life. Aging's messy, but it's also a blessing. Instead of honoring the many years these women have been on earth or highlighting the things they've been able to accomplish and the wisdom that they have earned, they feature women who seem to have worked very hard to stop the aging process. And the worst part is that the show seems to be somewhat aware that they're doing this. They try to correct it by contestants saying things like, it's nice to see older women being portrayed as comfortable in their own skin, older skin, and how they're breaking stereotypes about what it means to be old. But then set them in situations where they're shown to be acting like, you know, girls gone wild. The only real representation of aging was Aunt Chippy. Unlike the other contestants, I find Aunt Chippy and her realistic aging comforting. And of course, she was just a bit of stunt casting. It was a joke. Someone aging realistically never had a chance on this show. While all the other contestants are donning ball gowns and stilettos, nervously awaiting their first rose, Aunt Chippy is shown napping by herself in the other room. Aunt Chippy, by the way, is... Jimmy Kimmel's aunt, I guess she appears on his show from time to time. Like I said, this was, she was cast as a joke. Now, again, I know it was a setup, but the fact that the only realistic woman is made the butt of a joke 
says a lot about this show. I'm smart enough to know this isn't a genuine representation of dating in your later years, but also sensitive enough to know that there's still some truth here. So after five groan-inducing episodes, where do I stand? I don't know. I guess no more or less hopeful than I was before watching. Because the reality is, dating is hard at any age. All right, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 150. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. Like the Facebook page, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at, you guessed it, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Especially if you have friends, middle-aged friends dating. (laughs) They might like this one. And if you have questions or topic suggestions, email me at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.